Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. Pharmacy is transforming. This transformation is having a major impact on pharmacy care and patient treatment outcomes. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare providers throughout the country and are taking on more responsibility as their roles are expanding. The RX Influencer Magazine features some of the most influential pharmacists in the nation. Pharma Salon and the Pharmacy Podcast Network are hosting the first RX Influencer Salon event about trends and opportunities in healthcare led by pharmacists. The RX Influencer Salon will be a live event held in St. Louis, October 24th and 25th, featuring four key conference tracks including pharmacogenomics, entrepreneurship, compounding, and cannabis. This event is like none other and will help you build your business, career, and knowledge of the upcoming opportunities in healthcare led by pharmacists. Sign up today by visiting pharmasalon.com forward slash rxinfluencer. That's pharmasalon.com forward slash rxinfluencer. Become part of the most influential providers in healthcare today. Join us in St. Louis at the Rx Influencer Salon. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at pharmacypodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. listening to the NASP podcast. This specialty pharmacy podcast is a collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The mission of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy is to improve specialty pharmacy practice by promoting continuing professional education and certification of specialty pharmacists while advocating for public policies that ensure patient access to specialty medications. As the healthcare industry's leading podcast dedicated to the pharmacy profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring our listeners the NASP Podcast in collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. Good day, everyone. Uh, This is Mike Baldzicki, Chief Brand Officer with Excel Health, uh, presenting our episode two of Optimizing Specialty Pharmacy Health Outcomes uh, within the Patient Journey Mapping in partnership with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Uh, Today, I have great speakers, uh, panel members, to kind of talk about the topic at hand. And again, it's Optimizing Specialty Pharmacy Health Outcomes. Uh, so we have participants, Brandon Salk, uh, who's a vice president, GM of OptimiCare, a rare disease specialty pharmacy, and also Katie O'Leary, chief strategy officer from Imagine 360. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, and again, thank you for jumping on this podcast. As said, you know, this is really episode two of a series that we're you know, talking about, you know, optimizing the patient journey mapping in the specialty pharmacy space. And as you guys know, you know, this healthcare sector uh, recognizes the value of the, obviously those innovative, effective strategies to address challenges in this space, particularly especially drugs, uh, which treat complex chronic care conditions like ultra orphan rare disease or even the new gene cell therapies that we're now handling uh, from an administration uh, perspective or just from the benefit design uh, that you both can uh, probably relate to. So as we kind of get into this topic of optimizing, you know, health outcomes within specialty pharmacy drugs, 
you know, especially in future medicines like gene and cell therapies or, you know, the, the large pipeline that we're now seeing within rare disease and ultra orphan drugs uh, that treat really unique patient populations, you know, th there's requirements on, on this high touch coordination and, and really a concentrated um, insurance of about how we manage these patients uh, to be adherent and, and, and how we can hopefully potentially manage the side effects to realize the full value of that therapy. So, you know, I'll start this off in regards to both of you, and I'll, I'll usually refer to Katie first, uh, then Brandon, since we, we have uh, girls first and, and men second always, uh, just from a, a respectful thing. But, you know, from your particular area, Katie, you know, what are you, some of the areas working within the benefit design and TPAs and just overall experience uh, of management that you have seen to control outcomes and costs uh, in this area around specialty pharmacy? Love your perspective on that. Yeah, it, Mike, so happy to be here today because this is such a, a big issue that, that's facing our plans, right? And when you think about it from a, a TPA space and, and particularly for Imagine 360 and, and working with middle market employers, the, the complexities uh, around this and then compounding that with the small number of members that are affected, but the tremendous cost that, that's driving from it, um, it, it makes it really hard for, for these smaller plans, you know, smaller TPs to kind of figure out all of the different solutions that, that are out there um, and, and bring it together in a way that is patient-centric, that, that really works for the member on an overall journey standpoint. Um, I've seen a lot of things coming into plan documents that, that feel really effective, right? Having a plan design that helps a member in terms of what's the right site of care for, for me to, to be going to, um, what's the right way for these drugs to be procured? Is there a way for me to access alternative funding, whether that's couponing or potentially assistance packages? But they almost all start with that plan design and, and kind of how that comes together up front to make sure that it's working within the, the overall construct. Um, but, but those are some things that we've seen that have really started to, to bend the cost curve. And when they can be implemented correctly and, and really put in place in almost a high touch case management, seeing a, a huge impact for, for members, both in terms of, and plans, in terms of how we're saving costs overall, not just on the drugs, but how those drugs are being administered too from a facility charge standpoint. No, that's a great point. And you know, to that, I mean, you know, I think it sends into why we have Brandon on uh, within the OptimiCare model. Again, that you know, high touch, especially pharmacy perspective of what they do well and what I've seen in my prior years uh, experiencing working with entities like this. Again, I think the market's turning to that value-based contracting, especially working with you know, pharma or life science companies coming out with these type of products, you know, value-based contracting is really taking some, um, you know, uptake. We have links to reimbursement or payments for products that, you know, have positive, uh, positive clinical outcomes. I think you can only get to those levels of insights when you have or insert a company like OptumCare. And, you know, Brandon, maybe you can elaborate some of the things you're seeing on this topic as well. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And uh, thanks, Katie, for, for your explanation, too. And touching on something Katie said, right? So she was talking about, and you as well, Mike, you were talking about that high-touch model, that high level of care. And that's what we do at OptimiCare. We, we like to call that our patient-first approach. So every decision that we make in the full spectrum of whether it's the patient journey, whether it's our operations, whatever it may be, has the patient at the center of our minds. And so when you're when you're working through that kind of those kind of decisions and that kind of process, each each decision affecting the patient, you're going to see the best outcomes that are possible for those patients, which in turn are are going to improve their clinical outcomes, their their quality of life, 
as well as decreasing costs on the healthcare system, which is a huge thing as we're as we're talking about, especially gene and cell therapies coming out, um, just the high dollar amounts of these rare and orphan diseases that OptimiCare works with primarily. Um, we need to figure out how to minimize the impact on the the um, the industry as much as possible, right? We don't want to just be having drugs that it costs tens of thousands of dollars per per member per month just sent out willy-nilly. We want to make sure that that patients are adherent, that they're taking the medications that how they're supposed to. And so having that high touch, having a, a a program that's focused on either the this, the specific drug, the specific disease state for those patients and giving them the highest quality of care is going to help to ensure all of that. No, and those are great points. And I think too, you know, kind of gets steps into for me, the next question, you know, I have for, you know, uh, Katie in regards to working with Imagine 360. Again, you know, our partners we work in, in tandem with like Leaf Health and Imagine 360, you know, it really starts with that, you know, first step, that benefit design and contracting. So, you know, Katie, from your perspective, what have you seen really, you know, being assessed and optimized for especially pharmacy contracting to control costs or improve patient outcomes with this and umbrella? I mean, you know, there's so many PBMs, so many specialty pharmacies. We have network abrasion, I call it. And, and I think Imagine 360 is really done a you know, fine job of figuring out the nuances between this based on you know, the vendor partners they have brought in. I like your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I love that that term network abrasion, right? Uh, you know, we we joke a little bit around the the NASCAR elements of, of healthcare where there are so many logos and, and people involved around the table that it's kind of hard to know, you know, which way is up. And um when when you think about these members and, and the situation that they're in. Um, it just creates a whole nother level of complexity on top of what is likely already a stressful and an escalated situation for them, right? And so I think when, when you're able to create an ecosystem with partners like Leaf Health, like Acela, with, with you know, PBMs that, that understand it, it, having that, exactly what you said, Brandon, that patient-first approach to it, but then having partners who understand what you all mean by patient first, right? Because we can all put the patient first within our own processes, within our own handling of the patient, but it has to work within that broader ecosystem. And I think by having all of those folks at the table together, when you're looking at plan design, you're making sure that it's clear, you're making sure that it's not in conflict, and then you're tying the education to members into that so that they understand how these things operate. It also gives you an opportunity to look specifically at that member population and say, what is going to work? care from an incentive standpoint, right? These are huge dollars in, involved. And so for members, there's a big out-of-pocket obligation. But in a lot of cases, I maybe have already hit my out-of-pocket obligation. So now I'm just talking about plan dollars. And so what's my incentive to, to engage with a, you know, a different program, a different management system, a different care aspect of it when it's not in my pocket anymore? And making sure that there's plan design there that it helps a member to know that that's where they need to go, but then we've got that care cycle around them as well to make it something that they want to do and that they view as an extra benefit that, that they're getting versus it turning into something where they feel like they're talking to an insurance company who's who's just trying to save as much money as possible. No, that that's that's key to me. And you 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 said two you know key areas of focus that I think really are are I, I call it disruptors in the healthcare sector in this topic nowadays. It's that patient, and Brandon, you alluded that the patient model, that patient comes first versus that care coordination. And, and I, I say that because, you know, 10 years ago, we just looked at this cost area, especially as just specialty pharmacy. And, and that's how we attacked it. 
I think nowadays, especially pharmacy, really alludes to four categories of how you have to look at that patient and look at that care coordination very differently. You got traditional specialty pharmacy benefit, oral drugs, et cetera. Very different model how you attack that. Then you got your medical benefit. You got your infusion, subcutaneous, injectable drugs. And now, you know, to me, in my experience, that another category is that rare disease, ultra orphan drugs. The pipelines are so robust. I mean, I remember back in the 90s, you had six, maybe eight, you know, hemophilia factor eight products in the market. You now have 26 to deal with. So again, how you attack patient and care coordination for that patient population on ultra-orphan rare disease, besides now we're going to start creeping into this gene and cell therapies, is very different. So Brandon, you know, coming from Optimi and what you guys do differently, you know, even from my experience, I know there's a lot of number of pharmacy options out there. You know, from your assessment, what's being done or, or, or I guess what's bringing the advantages or constraints for patients and plan sponsors around this type of model? Um, so thanks, Mike. So, and Katie made a really good point too, right? I think one thing to really hone in on is the fact that in this kind of a model, a patient first model, a high touch service model, everybody has to have buy-in. Everybody has to be on the same page. It has to be really this interdisciplinary um, connection that we all have to make sure that the patient is taken care of in the best way possible, that's going to have the best outcomes and with the most minimal cost on the system as a whole. So, you know, let, let's talk about that constraint that you just mentioned. So in, in my mind, when I see constraints from our service model, the, the first thing and really, really the only thing that comes to mind is the fact that when you have a high level of care for patients, their involvement is key. So if a patient is not bought in or they don't they don't feel the onus to be involved and have an active role in their healthcare, then it, there's not a lot you can get out of. You can sit there and try to call the patient all you want. You can try to do as much education as you want. But if they're not bought in, that's really where it's going to be. You know, you're going to have your main constraint. But the advantages that you have are, you know, numerous. Right. Like we're, we're talking about. Um, you know, a consistent patient experience. We're talking about consistent care coordination. We're not talking about a, a scenario where patients just getting robo dialed for refills or for checkups or something or whatever it may be, right? They're actually getting somebody on the other line, somebody providing them a, a, an ear to listen to, right? You know, um, that's one thing that we hear from our patients all the time is, is that, my care coordinator or my pharmacist is one of the few people I have in my life to talk to, whether it's because they're a widow, um, you know, they, they just have been isolated because of their disease, whatever it may be. Um, that kind that level of care coordination provides something extra to those patients. Um, and when you when you start to look at the, the comprehensive care that's given to these patients, whether it's you know, all the way from the beginning, right, with the expectations of when they're getting onboarded, the education they receive, the, the counseling, the follow-up they receive to kind of track and progress their journey and their outcomes, um, that all ties into providing things like better adherence, um, you know, and then beyond that, then these patients continually will, will get better, both physically, both mentally, you know, anxiety burdens, frustration burdens, whether it was because of barriers to access or, um, you know, challenges in the diagnosis, whatever it may be, start to ease 
over time. And then we, you know, like I said, we see that better compliance and we'll see a reduction on healthcare. Um, if, if somebody with, let's just say, you know, for instance, Cushing's has reduction in um, their blood sugars because of certain medications they're taking by reducing the cortisol, you know, we, we won't see these, these, these uh, crisis where their blood sugars are skyrocketing now and we, they're in the emergency room and then the hospital for several days. So all, all of that really, it all ties together. And um, yeah. No, th those are great points. And, you know, to you, Katie, I mean, you know, for me, what Brandon just kind of did a great summary is, you know, how patients benefit from the quality of care that are, are, is being put out to them and then how engaged they are, you know, if you have the right program in place. And I think this is one of the, the great, you know, I think differentiators that Imagine 360 offers in the market to TPAs and plan sponsors and, and other employer groups out there is providing more extensive clinical services in these niche therapeutical areas in terms of, you know, adopting or customizing clinical programs to meet their patients, their plan sponsors, or payer needs. Uh, you know, maybe you can extend more of kind of what your model is out there and how that differentiates in the market based on, you know, the, the services and clinical programs that you guys apply. Yeah, so I think, you know, one thing that I, I love about Imagine360 and, and being a part of this is that, you know, Prior life, I was with Elap Services, which is a reference-based pricing company, really focused on the, the medical benefit. Um, and, and you would see things happening, but not have the opportunity to, to impact necessarily in, in the way that you, you wanted to, because you were really looking through a keyhole at, at the overall plan. Within Imagine 360, though, it, it, you know, we have um, you know, UREC accreditation from a, a UM, CMDM standpoint, and, and so are doing all of that utilization management and can really work with plans to make sure that, frankly, we've got the right UM program, right? Where we're doing the right utilization management and we're doing the right prior authorizations. And we're able to work with that member at the right point of in inflection with them when, when they're moving into one of these situations. And, you know, it, it's the, is it the right drug up front, right? Is this going to have the right outcome for the member? Is this the right care for the member? But let's not just say that and then sign off on it for a year. Let's say that and, and let's put another stop checkpoint in here so that we look at this again very soon to say, is this working for you? Right. Is, is this having the outcomes that we wanted or, or is there something else that, that we should be looking at here? And, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're having those right checkpoints, that we're doing it with the right level of clinician um, and, and really focusing those conversations on the patient's care, the patient's comfort with the care, how it's being delivered um, and whether there are viable alternatives that, that would potentially have a higher efficacy, have a better outcome for, for that member as well. Um, I think making sure, too, that you've got the right limitations in, in the plan. Right. This isn't a you know, knowing that it, it's the the right drug where we're not using off-label unless we know that that's happening and we've got the right parameters around it. Crazy number of new drugs coming out, right? And we know what this pipeline looks like in, in terms of specialty. And so when are you going to allow a new drug to come into your plan? Is there going to be a wait period after FDA approval, et cetera? And so being really smart around how we're constructing that. And I think further than that, making sure that in any specialty program that, that you're engaged in, that those same good practices around utilization management are carrying forward, right? Because I do think that sometimes in the industry, we get really focused on reducing the cost of, of some of the drugs, and we've not pumped the brakes to say, is it the right drug in the first place? Is this really going to get the member to, to where they need to be? Um, we talk a lot about the, the manufacturing mantra, right? It, it, it's the, the right place, the, the right time, the right cost, et cetera. You know, really making sure in these situations that it, it's the right care, that it's in the right place, and that it's at the right cost. But thinking about it in that order to, to make sure that we're taking care of the member in the right way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and to that point, I mean, especially looking at organizations like OpniCare, 
I mean, what we're seeing in the pharmaceutical life sciences uh, companies, when you know having a product come to market or coming out in a competitive rare disease space, is that limited distribution network, that exclusivity of one pharmacy servicing this type of population, because it's just not about reducing costs of a drug. It's holistically looking at a more positive health outcome. So Brandon, you know, you know, based on what I see within OptimiCare and what you provide in the market, you know, do you, you know, like your you know, assessment and uh, analysis based on what Katie just alluded to in regards to better health outcomes, when looking at you know the payers, do payers benefit from these type of unique pharmacies like Opnicare that focus on rare disease, uh, based on you know improving clinical measures uh, such as medication adherence? Yeah. So yeah, what, what what Katie was just saying, I absolutely agree. Especially when you're looking at things like utilization management and um, making sure that the, the upfront that this is the right drug for the patient, and when. You know, you talk about and look at an exclusive or limited distribution network and, and one pharmacy servicing a specific type of drug or, or maybe disease state, whatever it may be, you know, it, it provides a huge benefit to those payers because they know where their their members are going through and they know that a organization like OptimiCare, like other specialty pharmacies and, they, you know, you're accredited. Um, ACHC accredited, whatever it may be, have the proper policies and procedures in place to make sure that we're monitoring and and you know looking at all those outcomes. So in essence, that that we're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. And by having a close knit relationship with those with those payers on that specialty side um, for those contracts, you know, we can we can be held to certain standards that say you know. Um, Let's look, let's look at these outcomes after three months to see if we need to continue going on. We have that data. We can provide that data, right? Like we're, we're starting to see a lot more payers, you know, get these metrics that they want to look at each quarter for whether it's based on disease states and specialty, whether it's just based on general pharmacy operations. Uh, we're starting to see those more and more. And having, having a pharmacy that can actually, you know, talk the talk um, and walk the walk and that is working in tandem with these payers so that, every, again, everybody's on the same page, everybody understands what the expectations are, everybody's trying to do right by the patient. Um, that's where the real benefit comes in with having like one exclusive pharmacy. It's, it's easier for the payers, it's easier for the members. Um, it, it just, I think it just helps, like you said, holistically all around. Yeah, I, I think you bring up some good points of, of just as we continue to kind of navigate this unprecedented, uh, unprecedented challenge in, uh, challenges that we are within the healthcare ecosystem. You know, this kind of question maybe goes to you both in regards to how I'm going to position it. But you know, it's something at least we at Excel Health and how we work with entities like Imagine 360 to strategic partnerships with OptimiCare is really how do we connect the dots between specialty pharmacies and payers on this whole patient-centered care model. I think there's still some silos or, or disconnects within there. We're trying to do that from a vendor position, being a global specialty pharmacy service provider of representing you know, clients in the TPAs, employer health plan space versus forming strategic partnership uh, with, with entities like OptiCare. Love your perspective and I'll, I'll probably throw it to Katie first, you know, yeah, see what your response is and then uh, obviously Brandon. 
I mean, I, I think the biggest the biggest piece here for us to be successful is the trust and collaboration be, between all the players at the table, right? And and those are all the constituents that you just mentioned, Mike, in terms of of how you know on on the plan side we're we're working together. But it's the, the caregiver side as well, right? And, and their seat at the table in, in making sure that we, we don't have a member who, who feels like we're we're working against something or, or working in a in a different way. Um, I think it's really interesting when you when you think about innovators and, and we've talked about this previously, when you think about innovators in the marketplace, they cause disruption sometimes. Right. Things are different. It's not following through the, the map in, in the way that it historically or traditionally does. And so I think it's really incumbent on us as we're, we're looking at these programs to make sure that we understand the full picture. Right. It's very easy in healthcare to start tugging on on one thread and unravel the sweater if you're not aware of the whole ecosystem. And so making sure that as we're bringing these solutions together, and, and this is a place where I think Acela has just demonstrated so much partnership um, around making sure that we know the ins and outs and, and we can deliver this cohesively and, and in a way that the, the member is really comfortable with. Um, but so much of that is is trust be between the organizations, be between the people that are actually delivering and um, making sure that, frankly, if I'm letting go of a member's hand from a TPA standpoint that that Brandon's there to hold the other hand and and that we see that that happens be before we let go and and know that we're we're working together and that there's not a lot of light of day between us as as we're talking about the outcomes that, that we're trying to achieve um and that can be really hard and especially in an environment like this that is changing so rapidly and, and frankly getting getting bigger and bigger the other place that I, I think that we have a lot of opportunity is, is really frankly on, on stop loss collaboration right making sure that together we're, we're communicating the impacts of, of what we can do um, and that stop loss is understanding how that is going to work um, it, it's a huge risk for employers right and they need to make sure that they don't have a, a hole in, in their risk management strategy um, and easy to create when when these things are evolving as, as quickly as they are. Um, and so I think it really is it, it just going to continue to come down to having trusted relationships, I mean, trusted advisors at the table um, and, and really building that collaborative journey for the member. Now, great points, Brandon, any comments? Yeah, I, I can't agree with what Katie said more with the when it came to the trust comment, right? Like that is a huge thing that everybody has to everybody at the table has to trust one another. Everybody has to believe that each individual or representative of the company is there to enhance or do something that's that's going to be better for that patient right not just sitting there the the classic you know tug of war where it was between the pharmacists arguing with payers about contracted rates and things like that like that you know those that's going to become you know something that is going to have to go away as we continue to evolve as things continue to get more expensive and you know you mentioned it earlier mike i think one thing that really has to be evaluated um and is and it's probably going to come to come to uh, light more as as things get more expensive and there's more outcomes driven to these but like you said it's value-based contracting that's one huge area that that is going to have to be that's going to be implemented but then a lot of pharmacies or or partners who are helping to take care of these patients are going to have to figure out how that they how they get to some of these outcomes that are measured so that they you know they can get that reimbursement right um, and and also, with regards to the, the the pipelines coming out and the cost of some of these medications, right? Especially gene and cell therapies. What what we've seen is that that's that's going to be a huge burden on almost each or potentially each impact of the uh, the landscape, right? Or the industry from from the patient to maybe even like the wholesale distributor, but but certainly the plants, right? That's going to be a huge impact on them. And so, um, you know. 
as we've been kind of discussing since our uh, strategic alignment with Acela is, you know, seeing these innovative financial strategies, right? You know, loan-based programs that are that are tied to those outcomes to take some of that ease off of the the payer, but allow the patient to get the medication. So I think those are those are those innovative things that that the industry needs to be thinking about and needs to be willing to commit to executing. Um, so that we can make sure that uh, that patient outcomes and patients are going to be taken care of in the future. No, I, I think that's critical. And you both kind of, you know, touched on it is really, you know, defining those critical areas of what we must consider when looking to address, you know, this whole, you know, holistic approach on contracting, especially around contracting strategies that we're now evolving into, uh, you know, more predominantly in especially pharmacy space, uh, as we see this product pipeline evolve, um, you know, we got to get there to meet uh, the needs of this changing patient landscape that we're now seeing enforced into. Um, and again, I, I've said this over and over again, I think, we, you know, it's going to hit us in the face, uh, especially I think Q4 as we have three or four, maybe five gene cell therapies being approved with two to three, $4 million price tags. So to me, maybe, you know, Katie, you can take first step, but, you know, my next question is, you know, how or what do we focus on from managing the reimbursement uh, and providing individualized clinical support to these type of patients? I think it's critical because contracting plays such a critical role in your space, but also, you know, we're evolving so much in this area, especially, again, ultra-orphan rare disease and gene cell therapies. I mean, I've seen some TPAs that just throw up their hands and say, we're not going to cover it. We're going to rely on, say, alternative funding, and, and that's not the solution. I, the solution that's going to work, big picture, is going to be one where you have a lot of arrows in your quiver that that you can you can shoot at these things, right? Just saying that you're going to go down one path, I, I, I think, is going to be challenging for for anyone. Um, and so, I think that agility is is a huge piece here, right? Meaning that as as we think about plan documents. That's not something that you're updating once and then leaving on a shelf for a couple of years until you need to make another amendment to it, right? It's something that you're looking at continuously to think about what's changing in the market. How is this going to impact my plan? How do I need to be in front of, of making those changes happen? Um, I think having the right partners in, in the market, right? So you mentioned earlier, we work really closely with Leap Health. We've got a great relationship with Acela. And within those relationships, we get introduced to people like Brandon who, who bring a whole nother level of expertise in, in a different niche area to, to the table. And so, you know, building that network, having the right people around you that are plugged into these things. Like, Mike, I don't have a week that goes by that you're not sending me something new in, in the industry <laughs> that, that's going on. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's because you want to keep me up at night or, or kind of where, where you're coming at from it. But, you know, knowing what's happening and working with folks that are on the front end of that and thinking about what's happening, what is the next right thing for healthcare? What is the next right thing for, for specialty pharmacy? Being plugged into that and having partners who can spend their days looking at it so that they're bringing you the right solutions once they've vetted it, they can package it, show you how to put it into your plan, show you how to educate your members on it, et cetera. That's going to be critical because you know it's not just that, that we're seeing these new drugs come to the market. We are dealing with a population that is frankly getting sicker, right? We, we've got folks right. that are, are getting older and, and we think that there's going to be significantly more oncology in the future, et cetera. And so this isn't going to get simpler. I think that we are going to continue to have, frankly, paying for miracles, right? They can do incredible things right now. Um, how do you incorporate that? How do you make sure that, that it's sustainable overall? And I think you've got to be connected with people who are forward looking that, that can bring you along that journey. No, and I can't agree with you more. I mean, again, you know, I think 
you know, I, I call it finding those vendors, those relationships. You know, we call him Dr. Brandon for a reason um, uh, because of his knowledge base and his skill set and background. But, you know, he, he is just a, a fourth of, of knowledge in looking at this rare disease space besides his, his experience. But even working with Imagine 360, I think, again, you know, looking at vendors like this, these partners that we're forming and now seeing evolve, I call them disruptors in healthcare. You know, so I, I think it's needed and even... You know, platforms that are, you know, offered like this through the partnership with the National Association, especially pharmacy with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I mean, what a great platform to, you know, have a series like this and have open dialogue discussions around these type of unique, you know, financial or operational or clinical pieces that are providing these kind of services for patients. So, you know, I, I think my last question to you both is, you know, at the end, you know, based on these unique offerings of financial or operational or, or clinical uh, services that, you know, we all are trying to aim to enhance that patient outcome and provide economic stability to control costs, obviously, and ensure access to patients. And again, I don't want to lose focus that, you know, we have amazing therapies. I mean, gene and cell therapies are, are going to cure stuff. We've seen Zogesma, you know, that came out with a two point $3 million price tag or more cure, you know, babies, right? So again, from your perspective, you know, what's got to happen to ensure that we continue to, you know, provide all those things I just went through uh, to give patients access to these type of therapies. And I'll give it to Brandon first. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, so I think, you know, when each, each thing you mentioned, right, financial, operational, clinical, each one of those has um, very, unique things that fall under them that help provide these. Some of them are intertwined. Um, you know, if, if we're looking at financial, right, from my standpoint, it's, it's coming up with those innovative, you know, loan repayments to payers, right? Maybe, maybe that kind of a strategy or it, it, having some kind of financial programs um, or offerings to patients that are in these, these high touch program or yeah, high touch program models. So for instance, right, like uh, patient assistance programs, um, you know, specific criteria the pharmacy follows to establish a patient to be able to obtain the drug that way should, you know, maybe there is some kind of issue or barrier through their insurance or maybe they don't have insurance, um, right? Or or again, like you, like you said, if, if the, the payer just throws their hands up and says, we're not going to cover it, well, we can't just always go to a foundation because a foundation might not have coverage for that specific disease state or medication. So having those robust, um, you know, programs in place at a, at a pharmacy that, that can help execute on them. Right. So that that's only going to be a benefit to, to all aspects of, of the industry. I mean, when we're talking about operational, I think we've touched on it quite a bit, but having that patient first mindset, having processes in place that engage the patient that, um, you know, make make their journey only easier, relieve that burden on both the patient, caregiver, provider, payer, whoever it may be, um, to have the best outcomes. I mean, and those and those operational pieces tie into the clinical piece, right? When you have a when you have a pharmacy that can do a high touch model that is not afraid to put the resources and time behind it, is not one of those pharmacies that says, "Hey, we've got a quota. We have to call X number of patients." in you know an hour or you can only be on the phone for 15 minutes when in specialty pharmacy especially rare and orphan diseases that's not an option some of these patients you need to spend 
40, 50, even an hour on the phone with to help them understand it. And then it's not only just that initial education, it's it's your operational pieces that you have for your follow-ups, your reassessments that you're doing and your monitoring of those outcomes. So all of all of it, like I said, while it has each each thing is a column, right? It has things, they're all interwoven and and just they'll making sure you can execute on all aspects of these in the proper way that puts the, that's putting the patient first is going to enhance those outcomes is going to provide you know some economic stability it's going to control the costs like you mentioned and and it's going to make sure that patients have access to the drugs when they need them no couldn't agree more katie any comments yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that the Brandon just said. We're we're in a situation right now that it's a broken system, right? It's an insane system. There are misaligned incentives all over the system, and having a conversation about care and having a conversation about economics—they're completely intertwined with each other. And it's almost hard to reconcile with, right? Because you kind of go back to you know, the Affordable Care Act days as they're talking about it and, and the fear of death panels and, and what this is going to look like as, as somebody's making a judgment. And um, when you start talking about these, these miracle drugs that are, are truly saving lives, but they've got a, a seven-figure price tag on them, it, it makes it hard, right? It, it's a challenging conversation. And so you know, I, I think keeping it in that, that patient first, I, I love that, that patient first model, I, I think is so critical. And I think what's hard to realize and, and as you start to focus on this is you see all the challenges with procuring the drugs and what the member is going through. And I think what's kind of absent from the conversation is that even in a, a program that has no cost containment, right, we're, we're just going to pay for everything and, and it's fine. These members are still struggling to get their drugs. These aren't easy things to do, right? It's not an easy, it's not an easy program to be on. It's not an easy therapy. And so as we think about the patient care, while I think it's the economic piece that is potentially putting the, the laser focus on this right now for the industry and, and so much opportunity to, to move the needle there, what I'm really hopeful is that as we look at that, it actually improves the experience for all members, right? For everyone who, who's going through this. And so um, I think if we can, if we can be agile, if, if we can have the right, you know, kind of parameters in the plan to guide our members, frankly, if we can educate our members. This education shouldn't start with a diagnosis. It should start up front and particularly with self-funded employers where they're paying, you know, employees are paying for this plan in the same way the employers are. And so bringing that together, getting them on that, that side of thinking and preparing people for how we're going to handle these things, I, I think really eases the runway for, for us to be able to, to get engaged. And, and like I said, I think just having those options and appreciating that this is not a lot of members, right? On a population basis, it's, it's really small and they're snowflakes. Every one of them is different, needs to be handled differently and, and kind of handled in, in the right way. And so, um, yeah, I, I think if we can if we can put that patient first and, and we can make sure that it's the right care, it's in the right place, and then make sure that we're happy with the cost and, and that we're controlling that in the way that we can, um, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunities out there for, for everyone to have a good outcome on that front. Yeah. And and I like what Katie just said there. You know, she she was talking about how it's such it's such a small patient populations. It's it's unique individuals, right? And and be being able to be agile and react quickly as opposed to, you know, something something comes up, something happens and we're waiting, you know, uh, three weeks for contracting or something like that. But but like Katie said, being prepared, having ducks in a row, and then being able to respond quickly to a situation, that that's putting the patient first, but operationally, that's what's going to help drive everything she just said. 
No, I mean, and again, I think to just extend on, on, on the great you know oversight you just you both just gave, I think it's so imperative that you know again we we put that patient first. And and in my 24 years experience, you know, starting my career off in the late 90s, you know, we had those high touch models, and with you know through acquisitions and you know the larger PBMs out there uh, that you know hold you know various segments of services around this area, you know, I can tell you. We really stepped away from that, uh, that high touch patient center model. Uh, it, you know, it's almost like we've turned into more of a mail order, mail order, traditional fulfill drugs and that's it and let them go um, and, and try to have the consumer more empowered. Uh, we know that doesn't work. We know the employer sector try to do more consumer empowerment, uh, but without the necessary engagement tools and education, it really lacks, you know, that consumer to kind of understand what to do. And that's where I think we're now starting to see it come back, that high touch model that's really needed. Now, not only for the reasons we just went through, but again, I think, you know, the pharmaceutical pipeline is really forcing us to get there because again, you know, we have numerous ultra orphan rare disease products coming out. We have, you know, 30, possible gene therapies that will be available in the market by 2030 with an average price tag of two or three million dollars. So again, that high touch patient coordination is needed. Um, and, and so with that, I think, again, I, I really want to thank Katie, uh, you know, representing Imagine360 and, and Brandon being part of the OptiCare model with our strategic partnerships. I, I think, again, what I look to you guys is you, you are disruptors in this area, um, and I think it's needed. As we continue to evolve, um, you know, we're going to see more and more of this need, um, and we got to put the patients first, especially ensuring that they get access. Besides, you know, their employer groups can afford, you know, the the, the invoicing and the financial billing behind this. Uh, any last comments from you both, Katie? No, I, I think, you know, I would just say, I just really appreciate the partnership, Mike, with, with Estella. I, I think having folks that this is a scary environment, right? And if, if you're not... It, if you're not involved in pharmacy, I think in your career throughout, when, when you kind of put a toe in it later in your career, um, it, it's a really interesting place. And there are a lot of very, very smart people who understand a, a complicated system. Um, and, and so I think finding finding your partners, right, finding your experts and, and really leaning on them and, and looking to them to you know help to, to light that path that, that you have in front of you, um, it just could not recommend that more for, for employers and, and plans. Yeah. Brandon? No, um, no, this has been great. I'm, I'm glad that we can sit down and discuss these, have these open conversations and, and hopefully help steer the industry towards, you know, a more patient first model that that's going to help everybody. And, and as we talked about, you know, getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody um, bought into to the, to the trust that we all need to the, to, to have those outcomes for the patients. You know, I think, I think it's absolutely you know, needed and um, just thankful that uh, NASP will <laughs> is letting you do this. So, no, and, and with that, I, I do want to make sure we you know put a, a thank you out to the National Association, especially pharmacy, uh, for the partnership uh, in collaboration with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Network, and again, this is a series of one of four uh, regards to uh, outlining the specialty pharmacy uh, patient journey mapping. So again, you know, this is episode two. Please look for, uh, for the next episode three. Uh, that you know, the topic will be about navigating the patient journey in the specialty pharmacy from evaluation through treatment. And again, thank you guys. I really appreciate it, um, and look forward to the next session. Mm-hmm.